Welcome to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, where it's all about slashing your debt, slashing your taxes, and creating a liberated lifestyle. And now, your host, who met his wife while training for the 400 meters in Seattle and is eating gluten-free while lusting after bread, Dave Denniston. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping doctors like you slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. Well, I am honored to have our next guest with us. He is a veterinarian by training and now a full-time real estate investor after having over a decade of clinical experience in veterinary medicine. He is based in Canada across the border, so it's going to be fun talking with him about some of the differences between where he's at and here in the States. And, you know, he really got to a point where he was struggling with running his clinical practice. He was feeling overwhelmed. He was feeling burned out and he found real estate. So gonna love talking to him about this and how he transitioned to, uh, he's still licensed in, in veterinary medicine, but he is no longer actively practicing. Please help me welcome author, podcaster, Dr. Michael Bug. Welcome, Michael. Thanks, Dave. Great to be here. I am really excited to connect with your audience of physicians. A lot of similarities to the veterinary world, so excited to be here. Yes, yes, absolutely. And here I am in Minnesota. You're in Saskatchewan. How's how's the weather out there? While it's cold, that's that's true. That's not a myth. So I don't know where we're at today. We're still in winter. So I know a lot of areas of the states are well into spring. Not us. But usually by April, then we can say, okay, we're into spring. Love it. Yeah, here here in Minnesota, I'm looking outside my window. We got snow on the ground out there. We just saw my parents in Dallas area. 70-something degrees. It was great. Nice little break from, I think we have 20s and even teens here today. But spring's coming. You can feel it. It is. We're optimistic. It always arrives. That's right. <laughs> Every time. Well, Michael, we're going to have a lot to talk about with everything you, you got going on. And uh, your patients, of course, are fluffy kitties and, and adorable dogs. But before we talk about your, your experience in veterinary medicine and real estate, we'd love just to hear about you. Where did you grow up? Are you from Canada originally? What, uh, what was life like for little Michael growing up? Yeah, you betcha. So I, I grew up born and raised here in Saskatchewan. You know, that is, it's kind of West Central if you're looking on the Canadian map very much a prairie province, an agricultural province. So I grew up, my, my, my family is farmer. So I grew up on a farm. I always had an entrepreneurial spirit to me. So I was the, the weird kid that grew corn and grew pumpkins in the garden and I would drag them on the school bus and sell them to the teachers like <laughs> back in grade school. So they'd always see me coming in with my bags of corn. Going through that, obviously we were a grain and cattle farm. So the cattle side of things is what kind of sparked my interest in veterinary medicine, you know, seeing the veterinarian come to the farm. And I was always interested in science. So I thought, you know, this is, this is interesting. This is something maybe I could get into. Um, fast forward, you know, go to veterinary school, still in the same province. We were lucky. There's not a lot of veterinary schools actually in Canada, but one of them, the Western College of Veterinary Medicine is close to where I grew up. So I haven't really strayed too far from home in that regard. Um, graduated from veterinary school in 2008 
And so if, if you remember for, for your listeners that are old enough, 2008 was an interesting time to say the least. So that's when I'm kind of graduating, brand new veterinarian. And all my life, I had been taught what, what lots of people are taught is, you know, go to school, get good grades, get a good job, save roughly 10% of your paycheck, and you will do fine. So that was my playbook, right? I was like, hey, I got this veterinarian check, got a job, check, go to school, or sorry, go to work, driving to work on my very first day. I can remember it clear as day, driving down, come to a red light, stop at the red light, and I, I have, I don't know if I wanna say it's a panic attack or what it was, but I remember just gripping the steering wheel and being like, what the hell have I done? Right, like I've climbed the mountain, I'm officially a veterinarian, and now I'm gonna go do this for 30 to 40 years, you know, punching the clock, and I felt very, very trapped, right? This was really at odds with that entrepreneurial little boy that sells corn and pumpkins. Get to the veterinary clinic, and this is the same veterinary clinic where as a little boy, you know, these veterinarians would come to the farm. So I knew them very well, got to know the owners, and I had witnessed the ownership group of that, you know, at, execute the playbook of financial success, right? They owned a veterinary clinic, they did very well, they sold it, they rode off into the sunset. Then one day, I see the old owner back in the veterinary clinic, and th that's not the unusual part. He would pop in from time to time just to visit, but this time he had the white coat on, he had a stethoscope on, and I was like, what is going on here? And I finally pieced it all together where it was, this is 2008, 2009. So people had literally half of their net worth chopped in half in a very quick period. And I pieced it together where I was like, he's not here because he wants to be, he's here because he needs to be, right? So he's not back full time, but he's picking up shifts. That was the day I basically found out there's no Santa Claus. And I was like, okay, I have to do something different because this will not be me in 30 to 40 years, right? So that plants the seed. I go down, you know, the classic rich dad, poor dad, read all the books. And that's where I, where I kind of turn on to real estate. Interesting. So I want to dig back into the, the farm aspect of it. You know, I generally think of farmers in many cases being land rich and cash poor. Was that true of you and your family growing up where, you know, things were kind of tight for you? 100%. Yeah, the classic is farmers are asset rich, cash poor, and you really feel that. And this really defined my relationship with money. You know, it took me a lot of time to unpack that and realize I was basically doing the same thing that farmers do. Only my, my version of buying farmland was turned out to be buying houses, you know, but it always felt like, man, there's not a lot of cash sitting in the bank accounts. But if we look at our balance sheet, there's sure a lot of assets there. So tell me about in Canada, I generally think, you know, more social medicine, taxes higher on average. That's my impression of it without living there and being being a part of it. Uh, I imagine being a veterinarian though might be a little different. Like, did you, you go to college, was there much in the way of debt or was it relatively cheap, you know, coming out of that and then going into veterinary school? Yeah, so I was very fortunate to, on twofold. One is, if I was in the States, they would consider it like in-state and out-of-state, right? And and there's different levels of tuition depending on which you do. Um, where I went to veterinary school, it was in province. So we have provinces, not states. And so the government does subsidize a good portion of that. 
right? So it's relatively cheap. And keeping in mind, now this is back 2004, 5, 6, 7, 8. So pricing has totally changed. I was fortunate that I had scholarships and I was fortunate because my parents helped me out significantly to the tune of I came out of veterinary school debt free, right? So they helped me with tuition. They bought a house that I got to live in and house hack. So I lived rent free, had a bunch of roommates. So I'm not typical in that I came out of veterinary school at the end with zero debt. The more normal situation is people are coming out with a couple hundred thousand of debt. Okay, so it's, it's like the US then in a lot of cases. I mean, 200K is often the minimum for a lot of physicians in the US. You know, there's people listening to this podcast with three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars $400,000 of student debt. Not unusual at all in this world today. As a matter of fact, my oldest daughter is a senior in high school and is getting ready to go to college. And she's been accepted all kinds of places, which is wonderful, like Cornell and Northwestern. But man, the price tag is 80 or 90K a year for undergrad, not, you know, graduate school on top of that. And so dad was willing to throw on $30,000 a year, but, you know, I'm not trying to parlay a huge part of my retirement when she can go to school a lot of different great places so you know that that was an interesting decision and man in today's world it's uh some of those institutions that are great institutions wonderful institutions i just not sure it's worth the price tag you know that a lot of doctors would have to pay to get there yeah and there's two sides to that coin i mean there is yes your your x amount of dollars in debt but you also sort of have this opportunity cost right so professionals, you know, when we go to university, we aren't graduating until our late 20s at best, maybe even our early 30s, right? And so that's just another factor we have to consider is we're going to come out in debt, but we've also missed out on a lot of years of earning. Do you feel from your folks doing what they do? Because obviously they, they made sure you didn't have any debt plus your own hard work of getting scholarships and whatever. Uh, what did you learn from them? in terms of managing money? Um, sounds like maybe you were under the impression of, hey, save 10% a year. What, what kind of influence did they have on you? Yeah, there, there's a lot of very good ones here. I would say one of the big ones is, you know, in a lot of ways is betting on yourself. And betting is probably a poor choice of words because, but as a farmer, what they do is they generate profit and they pour it all back into the business right? And they generate profit and they pour it all back into the business. And so it's, it's within their control. Now, granted, there's external factors as there is in everything. But it really taught me, you know, if you want to get ahead, you know, get skills, get competent, get confidence, and then keep reinvesting in yourself, right? So for me on the real estate side, how I've applied that is I, I'm an active real estate investor, right? I'm not just handing someone $100,000 and saying, hey, do your thing. I'm managing what I can manage and controlling what I can control, right? And then the other thing I learned, and when I reflect on it is, you know, farmers basically execute rich dad, poor dad in a phenomenal way. Because inside of there, one of the messages that often gets lost is have a business that generates cash and then use that cash flow to buy assets. And that's basically what a farmer does. They generate cash, they buy land. They generate more cash off that land, they buy more land, right? And then it's just that's just a snowball that just keeps growing. No, it's, it's so interesting. 
and um, certainly you applied it yourself in real estate. So tell us, tell us about your first deal. You know, so you're you're a veterinarian, you're busy, but you're getting some education. You're interested in real estate, but you haven't actually pulled the trigger yet. So walk us through Michael at that stage. It sounds like maybe it was 2009, 2010, something like that. Yeah. So I honestly, it was a I was a little slow, and I'm going to give you my first two deals, and you'll see why. 2010 technically my first deal and I had the brilliant idea that I was going to live in a property while I fully gutted it and renovated and fixed and flipped it because you know I would heard all these wonderful things about fix and flips which they can be but full-time practicing veterinarian living in a renovation zone literally showering with sawdust on his feet <laughs> and I was like this is not working like this, this is not what I envisioned real estate to be so that was technically my first deal, but I immediately decided that's not for me. In 2012, that's what I really consider the start of our real estate portfolio. That's when we bought our first true rental property. So t tell us about each one of those. Like, how did you find it? Why did you decide on it? Tell, walk us through the numbers. Like, how much did you have to put down? You know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so the first, the 2010, how I found it, I was just consuming everything I could on real estate. And you have to understand, real estate can get very specific. You know, people will talk about the American real estate market, the Canadian real estate market. It, that That's kind of a myth. Like if you're talking Canadian real estate, you're basically saying Toronto and Vancouver and maybe a bit of Montreal and everything else just averages out. So you have to get very granular. So within my city, then within the neighborhoods, and then even within the blocks. So one thing I did right was I had a phenomenal location, right? This was one of the top neighborhoods in Saskatoon, close to the university. So my renovation, it did okay, but I was helped out by the market and the location, right? So to be honest, I don't know the exact numbers. I think I made somewhere around $40,000. If I was to calculate my return on time, I probably paid myself far less than minimum wage, <laughs> yeah. to, to be completely honest. Because I was like, I'm gonna do as much I, as I can myself. And I was like, that was a mistake. Like I would have been much better served to pick up the scalpel blade and go do a surgery than to pick up the hammer and pretend I'm a carpenter. But you got the experience, right? You got to know what it was like, which that cost of that education, well, maybe it was a free education at the end of the day. I guess, yeah. Right? So that's interesting to think about. Now, up there in Canada, like if you're buying a property like that, do you have to put down 20%, 30%? Can you do less than that? You know, what does that, that look like? You can. You can get, a, I believe, as low as five, but then you do have to also get what they call like a CMHC premium, which is a, a form of government insurance. So there's a bunch of extra fees that get tacked in. So I didn't do that. I go with the went with the 20% down payment. The one thing, and I'm not sure the rules in the States, for us, your primary residence is tax-free, right? So for me living in that property, that was my primary residence. So at the end of the day, when I sold it, any of those gains were just completely tax-free. Here in the US, the way that it works is that if you're single, up to $250,000 of gain is tax-free. If you're married, it's 500 k So it works that way. And then if you've been renting it out, you might be depreciating it. And so that, that can lower your basis 
on it when you go to sell it eventually. But of course, that's um, you have to upload there two out of the last five years is the rule here in the US. So you can't just do it for like six months and then flip it. That would be a short-term capital gain here. But there, does, does it matter? Do you have to stay in a certain period of time or? So they'll say a year, and I've, I've kind of questioned that, like that's sort of the, there's judgment involved there, right? Like if the story makes sense, like let's pretend I bought a place and I'd lived there eight months, but then I literally got transferred to a different city and I had to move you would be able to argue like your case of like, look, I'm not bouncing house to house. I had to move my family to be closer to work, right? But the generally accepted thing is a year, but I have heard stories. So up here, it's the CRA. If there is a pattern, right? Like if I became a live-in flipper and every year like clockwork, I'm just moving up three houses down the street, they'll start to catch on to that. Interesting. So there's a limit to kind of what you can do with that. So it's it's not something you could do systematically every two years. You... Well, I mean, I have heard of people that have done it, you know, seven and eight times, but there has to be, you know, a, a compelling story behind it. Got it. Interesting. So tell me about the second time. So that was your first experience. You're living in it. You're, you're walking on, showering in sawdust. Uh, what about number two? What happened with number two? Yeah. Number two was much more in alignment. And so... As an investor, I, I often call myself a lifestyle investor, right? So I'm optimizing for lifestyle. I'm not trying to be a billionaire. And so deal number two came along and there was a lot of excellent things here. It was new construction by another home builder, right? So it's a brand new property, no deferred maintenance. Our government at the time had a grant program where you got $30,000 towards putting in a basement suite, right? So a secondary suite, because at the time, you know, our local city, we really needed more housing. They thought this would be a good way to incentivize people. And so me and my wife were like, yes, we'll, we'll definitely do that. So we put in a basement suite. So we have a three bedroom up, two bedroom down. So a two unit house, brand new. We get a check for $30,000. That's like, thank you for putting your basement suite in. And then it, it cash flows from day one. At the time, our market was very strong. So I remember putting our first rental ad up for $1,800 for the main floor. And we literally had a lineup of people and they started like bidding, like I'll give you 19, right? Like it was a really strong rental market. And I remember thinking like, this is easy. Like you put one ad online, there's 20 some people like within 24 hours, all qualified to rent it. Um, So anyway, we went ahead with that. The grant program was so good. I think we did three or four in that first year in 2012. That was me and my wife. That was our our jumping off point. You know, and it just fits with the lifestyle. When I look at wanting to generate recurring revenue, how I looked at it was, you know, if I hold this property for 10 years, even when I stress test it and in worst case scenarios, it's basically going to be, you know, one to $200,000 in my pocket with mortgage pay down, hopefully there's appreciation, cash flow, etc. And now for a commercial break. Every year, about this time of the year, I have physicians asking me, Dave, I hate the taxes I'm paying. How can I lower my taxes? How can I understand what the heck is going on here? Well, that's why we have put together a tax cheat sheet that really has almost everything that you'd ever want to know about taxes. 
two-page document, super simple. I put together a few videos to walk you through it. All you have to do to receive this awesome document is tax the word cheat sheet, all one word, C-H-E-A-T-S-H-E-E-T to 833-343-2986. If you want to get your copy of the 2023 tax cheat sheet, make sure to text the word, all one word, cheat sheet, C-H-E-A-T-S-H-E-E-T to 833-343-2986. Nothing better you can do for yourself than to get educated on taxes. And so, my friends, make sure to download that cheat sheet again. You can text all one word cheat sheet to 833-243-2986. And now, back to the show. Well, I'm sure many of us that are listening to this want to know, hey, you're practicing at this time. And you had a wife, it sounds like, and maybe or maybe not kids. You know, no how, kids at that point. No kids at that point. So how how are you finding time to look at deals and manage the properties and all that kind of stuff to really get the snowball going? Yeah, it was hard. Like there, like I don't want to sugarcoat that for anyone listening. We we were very busy. It was a choice both my wife and I had made. You know, we knew we wanted this to go on this path, but that did mean a lot of evenings, a lot of weekends, you know, going and meeting tenants, taking care of little maintenance things. Um, so there were sacrifices for sure, but but we kind of mapped it out and said, you know, this is worth it in, in our opinion. It did help not having kids at the time. When I look back now, we have a three and a half year old and a five month old. I, I don't know if we could do that now, to be honest, like it's just the, the phase of life that we were in. So. I would capitalize on it while you can, you know, when you have that sort of quote unquote free time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which is hard when you're when you're a practicing veterinarian or doctor to find it. But, you know, it's it's an investment of your time right into your financial future. So um, for someone that's that's just looking to get started, Michael, that's here in the States that to do what you did in any just words of wisdom, how do they get started? How how should they look for deals? You know, maybe there's not a $30,000 basement build out program here, as far as I know, you know, how, how would you recommend someone to get going with this? So I, for me, the, the most impactful thing is very similar to, to becoming a doctor, to becoming a veterinarian is you got to get around other people that are doing that, right? You got to start speaking that language. At first, it's going to be completely foreign to you, you know, but just by being around and hearing the conversation. So almost every market nowadays has local real estate meetup groups. I would start getting involved with them. I would start looking for a mentor, right? Someone that you can have those more in-depth conversations with. That's probably going to mean an exchange of value, right? You, you don't want to be one of those people that's just like, hey, can I pick your brain and, and, and sort of time suck off someone else? Look for how can you bring them value, right? Someone else that's also very busy, you know, maybe you're willing to drop some letters off for them or, you know, help them out however they can. Um, tactically, one of my favorite tips was, you know, we're, we're active, right? We like to go for bike rides and walks and runs. And I would just change my pattern and be like, this is a neighborhood I'm really interested in. 
So we're going to go for all of our bike rides and runs and walks like in and around this neighborhood because real estate is inefficient, right? When we look at the stock market, you know, we'll just grab Apple per se and it's trading. And if you go on there, there's, there's not going to be a spread. Like this is what Apple stock is worth today. And you can either buy it or sell it, like take it or leave it. When you look at real estate, it is not the same, right? People, sure, there are comps, but you can find situations where just because a house hasn't been painted, it's severely discounted because it looks bad. But you know that if you go in there and spend $5,000 on paint, you're going to drive the value 25000 or whatever the numbers are. So there's these huge opportunities for value add, right? And that's what you're looking for, right? You're looking for and if that's your strategy, right? My 2012 strategy was turnkey because I didn't have the time to deal with this, right? I'm, I, I'm a busy veterinarian. I just need something easy. Now my strategy is value add. So I'm looking for, you know, lawns that aren't mowed, windows that are broken, like signs of a poorly kept property because that's where I can drive the value the most typically. And you have more time to explore those things and understand the numbers, talk to contractors, all that kind of stuff. So how did you or when did you say you know what hey this is working this is how i need to get to getting out of veterinary medicine walk walk me through that honestly it was on the first tax return so we buy in 2012 we and this is personally we bought this personally at this time so we're filing our end of the year taxes and you get those mortgage statements that says you've paid down this much principal Right. And we look at the bank account. And we're like, wow, we have the cash flow. We've paid down this much mortgage. And I start playing with the numbers and I looked at it quite a bit differently uh, than most people. So what I hear a lot of people say or look at is just for argument's sake, let's say a property cash flow is five hundred dollars a month and they want to replace their income. That's often the goal. So let's just say you're making one hundred grand a year and you run those numbers and you're like, hey, I need roughly 20 properties cash flowing 500 a month and that will give me enough income to replace my paycheck that's how a lot of people look at it that seemed really daunting to me and i was like holy man i gotta buy 20 properties and once you're in real estate you realize that 500 may or may not come because all of a sudden the hot water heater goes or the roof needs replacing or whatever and it always happens right so i was like okay let's look at this differently so i looked at it like you go to the grocery store and you're putting your groceries on the conveyor belt and the cashier's standing down the line and, and they're gonna ring through your groceries. And I was like, okay, if in 2012, we can just take this property and set it on the conveyor belt. It's cash flow positive, so it's taking care of itself. I don't need anything from it. I don't need uh, the monthly cash flow. I'm just gonna leave it there, manage it well, and I'm gonna revisit it in 10 years. And so I ran the model of like, in 10 years, this thing is gonna have, like I said, like depending on appreciation, anywhere from 100,000 on mortgage pay down and then plus based on your appreciation. So I was like, in 10 years when this piggy bank comes up to me, I'm going to smash it open and I'm going to have the equivalent of over one year salary just sitting in there, right? And that's how we started looking at it. So we're like, okay, put that one on. 2013, put another one on. 2014, put another one on. Then when we fast forward, we know every year, and that's the, a, what we started executing on. Last year, we, act, we sold three or four properties. So now we're getting these big windfall chunks of money, right? And we keep putting ones in, cashing ones out. 
And here, here in the U.S., you can do things like 1031 exchanges. I understand from us talking pre-chat, you don't have that in Canada. So you have to pay some taxes on those gains, I bet, huh? Yeah. I'm jealous of your 1031 exchange. Well, you know, a lot of people, what they tend to do, they start out in single-family homes, and they move to duplexes or triplexes or apartment buildings is often a path because they're like, I don't want to have to manage 20 different units, like you were saying earlier. So... Is that something you want to do at all, or are you just like staying in the single family? Because then you get economies of scale with having more doors and a manager that could manage on site and stuff like that in multifamily or self-storage or whatever other kind of real estate you want to think about. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, in 2018, we bought our first apartment building. And so I have pivoted over where my primary focus is now multifamily. So we still own some of the single family houses and I probably will always keep a few just for the liquidity, right? If I ever need to sell something reasonably quickly, a house is more liquid than an apartment building. But my primary focus now is apartment buildings. And I'm back to, I'm doing kind of the same strategy, right? So where I bought in 2018, I have that financed. It has really good debt on it and I'm letting it do its thing. The other change I have made is I now outsource property management. So I'm not the one dealing with the tenants and dealing with the maintenance issue. So I'm kind of sitting more above now as an asset manager, communicating with the property manager, which is in much more alignment for me because I've, I've bought a lot of my time back that way. Well, the hardest thing I think for, for any real estate person, you know, to actually live on the money, because if you're used to getting paid, 200 grand a year, you know, that's that's a lot of real estate that you have to have cash flowing to you. Did you guys ever just take a pay cut essentially in order to make this transition? Or did you just have enough volume in doing what you were doing that you had enough cash flow coming in to, to meet your needs? Yeah, there's definitely times where we took a pay cut and to be, we have to be like fully transparent here. We have other avenues, right? So my wife has a business that she runs. It's exclusively a, like cash flow based business, right? So we look at that where like we have a lot of income coming in there. I have other investments that are not real estate related, right? That have some cash flow coming in. So it it is not, we're not exclusively surviving on real estate, right? And I, I really always want to be very clear on that because I think overall, picking on social media a little bit, there's there's a, a misnomer out there and there's a lot of poor messaging that goes out and there, there's a lot of people frankly trying to sell stuff that will say, hey, real estate has changed my life, but then behind the scenes, what actually changed their life was selling all the courses that they sold you, right? And so I know I'm taking us way off on a tangent, but I just think it's very important that people know that, right? Because as we spoke about, the cash flow on real estate isn't guaranteed. You can have a capital expenditure that comes along and wipes out months and months or a full year of cash flow. No, I, I think that's being realistic about it. That's my own experiences with those sorts of things and, and part of the reason I like to land flip like I do. So I guess, Michael, you know, as, as we go about here um, now, Fast forwarding in, in your time, you're, you're building this whole real estate portfolio. Sounds like you have some other stuff going on. And uh, then you have a podcast called The Veterinary Project and you have a book 
that's coming out or is out called You're Gonna Get Peed On. So tell us about those projects and what you're going on there. Yeah, so as you alluded to kind of in the intro, going through my veterinary career, very similar to what physicians and all medical professionals and, and everyone really can feel is, I did start to experience a lot of burnout, right? Just all of the different stresses that are coming at you, the volume of work that you're putting in. And I, I started having conversations with other veterinarians and it, you know, sort of in the secrecy of a one-on-one -on -one coffee meeting, people would finally open up and be like, you know, I am feeling the same way. And this was before it started becoming more talked about. And so the podcast was re is really a passion project of, you know, you go to all these am amazing institutions and they teach you really well how to be a veterinarian, how to do medicine and surgery very well. But then there's all these other aspects of life and of veterinary medicine and personal finance and investing that we're just not prepared for. And so that's what our podcast focuses on. It's primarily targeted to veterinarians, but all medical professionals would benefit. We don't talk about medicine or surgery at all. It's everything else that comes with doing that. And the genesis for that, I remember I was doing a workout outside on the rower and I kind of was exhausted and rolled off. And I was like, I have to start having these conversations. Like it kind of felt like a duty to start putting them out there. The book is kind of an extension of that. So the you're going to get peed on, I mean, both literally and figuratively, life in the medical professional field, you are going to. And for me, that was one moment. There was very one very specific case that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back where we had a big tomcat in and he was very feisty and he, you know, scratching and biting and one of the techs had him and kind of swings around towards me and I just get a face full of, of cat pee, like oh. on my face, in my mouth. I'm, I'm holding a syringe because we're, you know, we're about to do a procedure on the cat. And I remember being like, that was the moment when I was like, I'm done. Like, I will be exiting. And I know that's like, that's a pretty minor story in the grand scheme of things, but you have to understand how I experienced it. At that point in my life, my wife had kind of given me a moniker called Miserable Mike. And it's like, I can laugh about it now. At the time, it's, it sure wasn't funny. But I look at it like, you know, you have a bad day and then that's a bad week. And then you string enough of those together and all of a sudden you're just in a bad mood, right? And that just is your personality. It's no longer just a bad day. And that's kind of where I was at. And so that getting peed in the face was the catalyst that gave me, you know, permission that said, okay, it's time to make some serious changes here. Love it. Love it. Well, well, Mike, as, as we, we wrap up the, the podcast for today, um, I'm just curious to know now with ev doing everything you're doing, um, when do you think you can know that, hey, I've made it, I've achieved financial freedom? What does that mean for you? That is a good question. Okay. I'm going to, the thing that jumped out when you asked it is when can you know I've made it? It really, for, it comes down to your definition of success. And for me, success is sort of the progressive realization of a worthy ideal, which that I know that comes from Earl Nightingale. The punchline that I'm trying to get at here is I would be very cautious of outcome-based goals. And the reason I'm saying that, and especially to, the, to those in the medical fields listening to this is, you know, all of our life we're trained on outcomes. So it's get into your chosen medical profession, then it's survive your one, two, three internship, residency. Now you've graduated. Check mark, check mark, check mark. And we always pin beside that. Once I achieve that, I'll be happy. 
Once I achieve the next thing, then I'll be happy. And then we eventually get to a point where the next thing is retirement. But the next thing, that's 10, 20, 30, 40 years away. That is a long time to defer your happiness, right? So I'm, I'm very kind of cautious and even against outcome-based goals. So I'd say you have to find a way to enjoy that and to find joy on your way to that destination, right? So I, that's a long way of saying is I don't have a number. For me, it is all about like, I'll always be doing stuff. That's just my nature. I will never retire in the traditional sense, but I'm just on a journey of increasing me and my family sort of net worth, you know, passive income, active income, and just keep layering that on. And if it takes me a little longer to do that, but I have joy and happiness, I'm fine with that, right? Because that's what I'm optimizing for. Love it. No, great answer. Great answer. And everyone, of course, shooting for different stuff, but you got to think about enjoying the journey, right? Which sounds like kind of what you're focused on. Well, I'd love to know, Michael, if people want to get in touch with you, they want to follow you, they want to pick up the book. Yeah, give us some details there. Where can they find you? Yeah, if you want to follow me personally, uh, www.michaelbug.com. I am on social media at michaelbug.dvm. If you are a veterinarian or you're interested in what we're up to over there, that's uh, www.theveterinaryproject.com or on social media at The Veterinary Project. Uh, you can find the book at either of those websites or you know, just online at Amazon. You're going to get peed on. Um, it should be available there. Love it. Love it. Any other closing thoughts you want to leave us with? Yeah, I'll keep it really brief. As I mentioned, I think I have a three and a half year old at home. So that's that's the, the level of nighttime reading that we're doing currently. And we're, we're reading a book currently called Yummy Yucky. And so for most of the book, it goes French fries are yummy, worms are yucky, pretty obvious stuff. But there is one page in there that I really like. And it says, ice cream is yummy, too much ice cream is yucky. And I stopped when I read that the first time. I was like, this is actually really brilliant because every time I speak to veterinarians or other medical professionals, typically at the core of it, they do really love what they do. They care about their patients. They love the practice of medicine and they really want to help. They are just doing too much of it, right? And it's that volume and that constant sort of grinding that is getting on them. So my final word would just be to everyone listening, you know, you don't need anyone else's permission to make a change. You know, you're probably just doing too much, need a little bit of a break or a slight pivot, but you can find joy with, within what you already do just by tweaking how you do it. Love it. Great stuff. All right, everybody, well, check out the book. It's a great cover, great title. I'm trying to have some great stories in there about even getting into deeper than what we've talked about you're gonna get peed on. It's true, it happens. All right, my friends, that wraps up another episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast. Remember, remember to slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. Why, thank you, my friends, so much for listening to the last podcast. I am pleased to announce that I am now a completely independent financial advisor, where to the point now, I can really integrate my financial planning practice with this podcast. If you might be looking for help, if you have found any of our information here interesting or relevant, and you're looking for a second opinion, 
opinion. I am making myself available for 30-minute strategy sessions. And if you want to arrange a time to meet with me to discuss your situation and see if we might be a good fit for one another, I'd like you to call our office and speak with Kyla. Our phone number is 612-284-2409. Again, that's 612-284-2409. And I look forward to helping you with your financial situation. And now for some lovely legal disclosures required by our lawyer friends. Investment advice is only offered in jurisdictions where Centurion Financial Strategies, LLC, Centurion is appropriately registered or exempt from registration. Our Form ADV Part 2 brochure can be obtained free of charge at advisorinfo.sec.gov by searching for our firm name or its unique CRD number, which is 316-454. This podcast is not a solicitation to provide advisory services in any jurisdiction which we're not appropriately registered or excluded. The information, statements, and opinions contained in this podcast have been obtained from or are based on information obtained from sources which we believe to be reliable, but we do not warrant or guarantee the timeliness or accuracy of such information. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be construed as personalized investment, tax, or legal advice. Opinions expressed by any guest are their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the firm's views. You should carefully consider your own financial circumstances and needs prior to making any investment in securities or purchasing any insurance products. As always, past performance is not indicative of future results. Investing in securities or really anything else involves the risk of loss. If by some chance in this particular podcast I mention insurance products, insurance products are backed by the financial strength and claims paying ability of an issuing insurance company. They may be subject to restrictions, limitations, and early withdrawal fees, which vary by issue. You should always consider the charges, risks, expenses, and investment objective of any insurance products before entering a contract. And that, my friends, wraps it up. Wish you all the best. Feel free to contact us with any info at www.daviddeniston.com. Thank you so much and have a good one. Bye-bye.